Welcome to Bakersfield First Assembly of God's podcast. Pastor James is fired up and ready to preach. I hope you enjoy this sermon. Well, welcome. Thank you for coming tonight. We're still on the book of Job and you're still here, so that's a good sign. I truly appreciate you making the time on a Wednesday night to come and, and study God's Word. On a Sunday morning, it's a different atmosphere. I preach, but on Wednesday nights, this is a study. We dig in this together. And I really appreciate your feedback, those of you that respond. And I learn from you. I come away from this educated by your experiences, too. So that's what I love about studying the Bible together. We teach each other, and the Holy Spirit teaches all of us. And so there's so much to learn from the book of Job, the question of the ages, why? I want to share this quote from Max Lucado. If anybody know Max Lucado, amazing author. And he has a book called You'll Get Through This. If you're going through great trials, this book, it helped me through North Dakota. Bless God. So it's just he deals with real issues that people face and how God sees us through. And he, he points this, this out. Most, if not all of us, have a contractual agreement with God. The fact that he hasn't signed it doesn't keep us from believing it. Now, I've talked about this much, that we have this unwritten belief that if we're good, then God has to be good to us. And so he says, I ple- this is what that contract is that we say. I pledge to be a good, decent person, and in return, God will save my child, heal my wife, protect my job, or fill in the blank. Only fair, Right? Yet when God fails to meet our bottom line expectations, we are left spinning in a tornado of questions. Is he good at all? Is God angry at me, stumped, overworked? Is his power limited, his authority restricted? Did the devil outwit him? When life isn't good, what are we to think about God? Where is he in all this? So this study of Job is going to reveal what our faith is like. Because we believe things that we don't even realize yet. But we're going we're gonna to uncover those things because some of what we believe is faulty. And if we, have, if we have wrong belief, how many know it'll affect our behavior and how we feel? And so faith is so important. What we believe determines everything else we do. You can tell by what somebody believes, just watch their life. Because what we believe is lived out in our life. And so there are, I think in all of us, myself included, some wrong theology that the Lord needs to correct. Because there are still times where I'm like Job thinking, why? What did I do wrong? I mean, I've been preaching this for almost 40 years, and I, there's still times where I'm like, God, why this time? You know, I should know this by now. And so I hope you'll join me in this journey of really discovering what God's word teaches and how he relates to us. God is so personal. We see this in the book of Job, how personal God is. He knows the in and outs of Job's life. He knows everything about him. And it's just amazing that he cares that much. And so we're going to learn, you know, do we have this hidden agreement with God that he didn't sign, but we think he did. And we wonder when he doesn't, you know, carry his end of the bargain, we realize, well, he didn't agree to what we agreed to. And, And this is something Job had to learn. Job could not control God through his own righteousness. I think there was a little bit of that. If you think about it, Job was sacrificing for his children. In in a way, Job was trying to control God and protect his children 
by doing these religious acts. And sometimes we do the same thing. And the problem is, is we try to control our circumstances. It doesn't work out. We try to control God. He doesn't do what we expect. And that's where these little chinks in the foundation of our faith, we've just plastered over them. But some, some situation in life will expose that, that chip in our, the foundation of our faith. And then we have to decide, are we going to believe God's word or what we feel or our experience? And it's really important that we don't base God through our experience. We base our knowledge of God through his word because our experience may not be accurate. We, may, we see such a small part of what's going on in the whole world and God sees it all. All right, I'm getting ahead of myself. So when tragedy strikes, how should we respond? This is part four. And so Job experienced unimaginable tragedy and he responded five ways. And I would challenge us to learn these five ways. I hope you'll take these notes if you have the app. I hope you'll take Sunday sermon notes and Wednesday sermon notes and, and meditate on them through the week. I believe if we do, God will influence our life. He'll help us. And so re remember these five things, how Job responded, and see if you can apply it to your life if you go through a hardship. It doesn't have to be a tragedy on the scale of what Job went through. It could just be a disappointment. Something didn't work or the job you applied didn't turn out and, or, you know, uh, your car broke down. Boy, that's, that's one uh, that's a real big disappointment for me whenever the car breaks down. Thank God for AAA. I've, towed, I've used more of those towing miles than you wouldn't believe. Got all my kids AAA cards, you know, because I don't want to deal with it. Let them deal with it. So here we are. If something bad happens, Job responded. So let's read the text, Job 1.20. At this, Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head, and then he fell to the ground in worship and said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In all of this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. So let's review the, the things that we've already gone through, how Job responded. Number one, Job grieves. That's appropriate. When there's tragedy, it is appropriate for us to grieve. And it's actually cathartic. It's healing. God provided grief so we can overcome uh, tragedy through time. And we are comforted so that we will comfort others. Job's second response is Job worships. Wow, this is so amazing to me. He grieves, and in the midst of his grief, he falls down and worships God. And worship may seem so unnatural in a time like this, but it's the best response we can have is to overcome our flesh and tell our flesh, rejoice in the Lord, O my soul. Like the psalmist is like talking to his own soul. Come on, soul, rejoice in the Lord. Because we have to rise above our flesh, rise above our feelings. And Job could worship God at a time like this because worship was a common practice for Job. It was normal. It was natural. Worship is a lifestyle. And worship involves not just singing songs. That's part of it. But it's humbling ourselves, it's bowing down both physically and, and figuratively, giving God our full attention, meditating on his word. That's all worship. It's not just the songs we sing on Sunday. I am grateful that Pastor Nathan has a worshiper's heart. Yeah. He has the anointing of the Holy Spirit. So no one should ever say, man, I never feel the Spirit. Oh, the Holy Spirit is here every time Nathan leads us in worship. 
and, and we should enter in because there's power in individual worship, but there's even greater power in corporate worship. It's like prayer, where two or more are gathered, God is there and he'll do anything we ask. It's the same in worship. When everybody enters in, raises their hands, all of those are scriptural responses. Raise your hands to kneel, uh, to meditate, to close our eyes. That's all scriptural responses. And when we enter in through one of those different expressions, then we sense the power of God for our lives and for our circumstances. It was the greatest thing Job could do was to worship. And then he knew this. Job had to surrender, as I was talking about earlier. He was trying to control his life. He wanted to keep everything good. So do we. You know, we, we want to, we think that we, if things just go a certain way, that we'll be happy. The problem is you can never control those things, especially when it involves people. You know, I, I learned a lot about life when I finally had children. Can't control when they sleep, when they get up, when they're going to barf on me and I'm going to accidentally lick that barf off my hand thinking it's ice cream. Yeah, that really happened. That was at SeaWorld. I've told you that story before, but for those who didn't know, I was carrying my daughter and, and I, we were eating frozen yogurt and I looked at my hand, saw frozen yogurt and licked it and it was not frozen yogurt. She had spit up on me. I know what baby barf tastes like and it's not good. First time or the second time. So, and we were on a vacation at SeaWorld and I couldn't control that. And I couldn't manage that. And boy, it was like, then I, once I had it in my mouth, it's like, ah, I'm scraping off my tongue. It was terrible. So the best thing we can do when things don't go our way is surrender to God. Job, now this is amazing. Job believed God did this to him. He doesn't, Job doesn't blame Satan. He believes God did this. And yet he worships the very one who he thinks took everything from him, even his children. That's amazing faith. And if you can worship during a time of crisis, that is one of the greatest ways we can express our faith to God. You know, one of the greatest gifts you can give God, because God is, is God, the whole earth is his. What can you give God? It's like, you know, what can you give your parents for their birthday? They've had 80 of them. You know, what, what now can you give them? God, you know, the, but the one thing we can give God is our faith. We trust him. It pleases the Lord when we believe in him in spite of our circumstances. And then Job's falling down in worship. Two things took place. He worshiped and he fell down. It's a sign of surrender and acceptance to the will of God. Now, I well, won't get in this too much tonight, but Aaron's sons offered unholy fire at the, at the dedication of the tabernacle, and the fire of the Lord killed them. Because, and, and they don't, we don't know exactly what they did, but after that point, God says, there's, the priest should not ever be drunk when offering a sacrifice. So it, it probably had to do something with the, they weren't just drinking, they were drunk and trying to offer the sacrifice and the fire of the Lord came out and killed them. Now that's one thing to consider. The other thing is God told Aaron, the parent, don't grieve. Don't grieve over your, your, your son's death. Now why do you think God would say that? Remember, grief is what he gives us, but in this case, he told 
Aaron, don't grieve over your sons. Any idea? Okay, excellent answer. At that moment, if they were to grieve, they're blaming God and they're endorsing the sins of his sons. And so God was saying, you know, there's, there'll be a later time to grieve. Israel can grieve, but you can't because you represent the Lord as a priest. And if you grieve and yell, why? It's going gonna, it's gonna to damage the faith of the, of the rest of the other people. So... There's, there's, we, we have to be careful how we respond to circumstances because unbelievers are watching. And so if we respond like unbelievers, what hope do we have? What hope can we offer? But there are times where it requires a reverence because the one thing Aaron could not express is that God was wrong. And the same is true of Job here as we're going to find when we get to the end here. But I'll probably come back to Aaron's sons because it's a fascinating story. And so Job acknowledged he came into the world naked and he's going to leave the world naked. He came with nothing and he'll leave with nothing. It's true that the Lord gives because all good gifts come from God. Even the wicked. God even gives, treats the wicked with kindness. It's in fact, it's what leads us to repentance, Romans says. His kindness leads us to repentance. But while Job's acceptance of the will of God is commendable, he is mistaken as to the identity of who caused this. So it's, it's amazing that he is, he is worshiping God, but he's worshiping God with a wrong understanding of, of who caused this. In this case, God is the one who gave, but Satan is the one who took it away. And that's where we left off. So letter I... Satan is a liar and a thief. We see John 8, 44. Jesus said, you belong to your father, the devil. He's talking to the Pharisees. Love it. Just love it when Jesus calls them out. And you want to carry out your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth. For there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language. For he is a liar and the father of lies. In contrast, God not only does not lie, he cannot lie because of, who, of his nature. But Satan, that is his natural language. That is his, that isn't ESL. It's not English as a second language. Lying is his first language. And John 10, 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that, you may have, that they may have life and have it to the full. See the different contrast of who is trying to influence your life. And who we allow to influence our lives. Satan's a liar. He's going to lie to you. He's going to lie in any way he can. He'll lie to you and say, you know, oh, that's not really a sin when you know it is. And then he'll lie to you and say, you're not really forgiven when you know you are because you've confessed your sin. He, everything he does is a lie. He says you're going to fail. You'll never make it. You know, all of these things. And so when whatever we allow to speak into our heart will affect how we live. If we listen to those lies, and the worst thing we can do is repeat the lies of Satan. It's one thing to listen to him. It's another thing to, to speak it out of our mouth. And so when the, when the devil says, you know, you're a loser, and then you call yourself a loser, you are speaking for the devil. And it's, it's one thing to believe his lies. It's a whole other to confess them. Instead, Jesus came to give you life, full life, abundant life.
life that gives and gives, and, and this is the contrast. And so in this fallen world, we have to contend with Satan and people that are manipulated by Satan and used by Satan and influenced by evil spirits. And so we, we realize that Satan will attack us many different ways. And sometimes he uses people. And when he does, we have to remember this scripture. Ephesians 6.10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against who? The devil's schemes. For our, it's still going on. The book of Job is still going on. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Now, God, Satan will use people, but that's not really, that's not how we win the battle back. They may fight us, but fighting them back is not the answer. This is so important that we learn that this, the battle we face is spiritual. Now, if Satan is using these people, God will hold them accountable. We talked about that. Vindication comes from the Lord. But we aren't, we aren't really dealing with people. We're dealing with powers. But against rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. There's, there's so much of the struggle in our life is because we, we're not fighting in the spirit. We're not wearing the full armor of God. The helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth. We're not, we haven't put on that armor to protect ourselves from the fiery darts of the evil one. So, letter J. God did not cause Job's loss, but he did allow it. So that's where we struggle. Nothing, I, I don't, well, we're going to see this. The bad in your life is not caused by God, but it may be allowed. We see in what happened to Job, Job had to get, or Satan had to get permission. And God put a hedge around him, and God has put a hedge around each and every one of us. And if God, for whatever reason, allows something to happen in your life, you can rest assured that God has a plan and that God has a purpose. And it's not reckless, it's not random. But the fact is, God didn't take Job's children, but he did allow Satan to do certain things with limits. He did allow Satan to take all of his wealth. And so this is where our faith struggles. We know God doesn't do anything evil. We're going to see that in a little bit. He never, he can do no wrong. But if he, if he allows something in our life, can we accept that? This is, this is where our faith really is challenged. We know that the devil did it, but God allowed it. Any thoughts on that? Yes. Yes. Unless you are a very mature Christian, you have sometimes trouble balancing that out. You're exactly right. And the challenge for a young believer, you know, God gives grace to a new believer. Things go their way and miracles happen. And, and then after, after the, you know, because now they're, they're infants. They're being fed and burped and everything else like, a, like little babies. But eventually, God is going to allow some things in their life. And this is where some people leave the faith. 
Because they have the wrong, somehow along the way, they were conditioned or taught that if you become a Christian, nothing bad will ever happen in your life. And that is not true. We have soft-souled Christianity. And we've allowed people to not, to surrender some, but not all. I really believe this. When I was in, when I was a, a, a professor, well, not a professor, but a teacher at a Bible college, uh, I had gone to the same college years later, or years before, met Jolene there, and, and we came back 20-some years later to teach. And I was shocked at the difference. When we were there, it was a, a discipleship school. People came there, they were already saved, and, and this was, it was actually not a discipleship school, it was a ministry training school. They were already discipled. And so they came to this school to be trained to pastor and missionaries and worship leaders and things like that. When we came back, a lot of the students weren't even saved. And we found out that they, were, they had gone to church, they'd been in church most of their life, but it had never accepted Christ. And so we, we found out that we had to have a revival week to start the semester off just to get, the, get them saved before they started Bible college. And so, you know, but we, we saw that journey where things are great, they're on fire for God, and then life sets in. And what's interesting, how many of you know when Jesus promised a full life, it's not a perfect life? A full life is full of good and bad. That's what a full life is, because a lot of our faith will not come without the fires of refining. First Peter says that our faith must be refined like gold. And that, that, how many know that your faith is really not put to the fire in good times? You know, we're, we're cruising, life's good. But it's when the fire comes that our faith is challenged and tested and refined and purified. And so God allows these things to come in our life for our good and for his glory. Any of you who have raised children and grandchildren know that at, at some point, You've got to let the consequences of your kids' actions come to them and stop buffering them. If you've ever, never read the book Boundaries, I recommend it. If you ever need to set boundaries with somebody, whoever it may be. But there, is a, there are times where we allow the consequences. We don't keep bailing out our children or we always will. And they'll never be productive members of society. And so sometimes, as hard as it is, you want to rescue them. You want to step in the middle of that. You got to let it come so that they will learn and they will grow on their own. And God does the same with us. He's a wonderful father, but he is going to allow certain things in our life to make us mature because you can't be a baby forever. You know, who wants to be changing 40-year-old diapers? You know, you can't be a baby forever. Or in my case, 57, 58. Yeah, yes. Yes. So the perspective is, if they really knew who they were in Christ, right. they wouldn't be doing whatever upset you. And it's just like our perspective is, we think, oh, this is a terrible thing that's happened. But then time goes by. Yes. And that changes our perspective to look at that was the best thing that happened for me. Exactly. And that brought me to this place. Exactly. Yes, and, and someone once said, we live life forward, but we understand it backward. So, you know, when you're living life, it's like, I don't know what's going to happen. 
But as you look back, you start to understand why God brought you through the valley of the shadow of death so that you would fear no evil. And so how, that's how you learn to fear no evil. You go through the valley of the shadow. And perspective is key. We, we understand so little from our limited perspective. And God may be allowing this small thing in our life to affect generations from now, uh, to, to bless our children or to prepare us for what is ahead. And so perspective is, is critical, and God always has it, and we don't. But there is time to, there are times, not that we dwell on the past, especially our sins or the negativity, but there are times to, to uh, reflect on what, how, what God has brought us through. Because that'll stir up your faith when we recall the goodness of God. Now, God has the right to give, and God has the right to give it away, and, or to take it away. And Job accepted that fact. That's amazing. First of all, he acknowledged, you know, God has the right to give it and take it. That's amazing. Job surrendered his possessions, his children, his life. Now he's going to surrender his health. And he surrendered to the sovereign will of God. And the question is, will we? Will we surrender to the sovereign will of God? Especially if you get to a place where you, you can't fix it, you can't control it, surrender is a good thing. Probably needed to surrender earlier on, but when you come to that point where there's nothing else you can do but surrender and wave the right white flag, then that's probably the best place you can be for God to work on your heart. You see, again, as I mentioned, all we have belongs to God anyway. We're just stewards of it. And so he gave it. It's still his it's like if you've ever borrowed your neighbor's lawnmower or whatever it may be. It may be at your house, but it ain't yours. It's still your neighbor's. I'm not bitter about that or anything. So the reality is whatever we have, and, and I hope, I was taught, my dad taught me well, that if you borrow something, you return it in better condition than when you got it. You know, that's, that's just, you know, integrity. And, but it, isn't it true the same way with God? Whatever we've borrowed from God, let's return it better than it was. You know, cherish it, treasure it. That's the whole parable of the talents. They were given by God. It wasn't their money. It was never their money. It was God's. And the, the one that played it safe and kept it to themselves actually showed a lack of faith. And, and the... And the, the uh, well, whoever the person is, the sower calls him wicked servant. And so the one that had five and the one that had 10 made it work and then gave it all back. And then what did God do? Give it back to them. You've, you've been faithful in small things. Now you've been put in charge of many. There's a story. Can I tell it real quick? You can. Yeah. 
you know, understand that it's like that talent. They just hold on to it. Right, right. They can, you know, really do so much. I mean, get the blessings from being part of God's plan. Right. And again, if we only dwell on the negative and never open the box to the good, we'll live like that. But God wants us to have a blessed life. He wants us to have a full life. Yes, there will be challenges along the way. But the, as we talked about last week, the good far outweighs the bad. If you look back in your life, the good far outweighs the bad of what God has done. And that's what we need to focus on. And that's what will get us through the hard times is knowing I've been here before. And God's seen me through, and he will see me through again. So Job grieves, Job worships, Job surrenders, and then number four, Job blesses. This is awesome. Letter A, though Job's life seemed cursed by the Lord, he still chooses to bless the Lord. Job 121 in the Amplified says, and Job said, naked without possessions came I into this world from my mother's womb, and naked without possessions shall I depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed, praised, and magnified in worship be the name of the Lord. So Job's already worshipped. Now he is blessing the Lord. He is speaking out praise to God. So it's not the same as worship. It's a different distinction. And let's look at that word blessed in the Hebrew. Barak means to kneel, salute, or greet. The, the verb derives from the noun knee and perhaps suggests the bending of the knee in blessing. Sometimes we have to bend the knee to be blessed spiritually. And then letter C, blessing signifies not only the act of a superior to an inferior but also the expression of grateful praise proceeding from the inferior and ascending to the superior. So how many know God blesses us? He's superior, we're inferior. He blesses us. But what's amazing is we can bless him back. That's that's pretty awesome that we we can be a blessing to God. You know what it's like for God to bless you when things work out and, and, you know, God's favor is in your life and the things the Lord does. Well, you can bless God back. I think that's pretty awesome. And I love that song. I was, I was going to have Nathan sing it, and then I forgot. But Blessed Be the Lord, you know, from Matt. Matt, what's his name? Matt somebody. Redden. Redman, thank you. Blessed be the Lord. We can actually be a blessing to God. What a privilege that is. And one of the, letter D, one of the greatest weapons we have against Satan is to praise and to worship and to bless God. The devil does not want you to do these three things. Now this is, man, if we could have been a fly on the wall of heaven, it wouldn't have been heaven because there's no flies in heaven. But, uh, you know, I teased Jolene because one time I was away and at a trip somewhere and I thought, I'm going to bring her home a gift. And so I brought her home this gift. I was so fired up about this gift. I thought, man, I know her colors, you know, in her kitchen. And I kind of, I, you know, I'm, I'm going to show her how much her husband knows her heart. And I, I brought this gift home and I gave it to her and it was a fly swatter. <laughs> but it was an awesome fly swatter. It was black and plastic and 
wasn't this cheesy little plastic. I mean, it had some heft to it, and it had a little cutout of a fly on it. I was so proud. Did she beat you with it? Yes. <laughs> she did beat me with it. And it's so funny because we have had that fly swatter for like 25 years. And the other day we had flies in our house, and I just kind of reminded her, I said, not so bad, huh? The gift that keeps on giving. So I have no idea why I told you that story, but... Uh, Oh, yeah, this is it. Fly on the wall of heaven. Yeah, thank you. I, I'm back. I'm back. Rabbit trail. I'm back. Can you imagine? Satan's, Satan said he'll curse you to your face. And instead, there's Job. Gets on his knees. Bless you, Lord. Oh, can you, any Satan's face. I mean, that, when you bless the Lord, especially in hard times, when you Raise that hand and bend that knee and say, Lord, I bless you. Satan has to flee. I mean, it just makes him miserable and sick. And so I, I imagine <laughs> if God just turned to Satan and said, well, that didn't turn out like you expected, did you? <laughs> don't we see, that, don't you see that Satan's trying to get you to doubt God or curse God. Maybe not so go so far as, but he's trying to rub this in your face so that you will distrust your father in heaven. And, and that's what Satan was trying to do. He, he was banking on it. He was betting that, that if you took away all Job's possessions and his children, that he would curse this God because that's the only reason he served him is because of the blessings. And Job proved him wrong. And you can prove the devil wrong too. Because the devil has doubts about you, but he, know, he knows the power that was in you is greater than him. And he just wants to keep you from that power, from that knowledge. Because praise and worship and blessing is your power against the evil one. And so Satan is trying to use the trials and tribulations in your life to doubt God's love. Would a loving God do this? A loving father would. Yes. As I, we shared last week, the Lord disciplines those he loves. That's part of his love. And letter E, the best way we can turn the tables on the enemy is to bless God instead of curse him or doubt him. That's how we turn it around. When you start blessing, even when you feel like so hurt and wounded or confused, you're going to bless the Lord. You're going to bow that knee because there's something about blessing that involves the knee. It comes from the word knee. There's something about humbling ourselves on our knees. If you, if you can get down there. Yeah. And more importantly, if you can get back up. That's where I'm at these days. Okay, I'm down here. What do I do? I'll just, I'll roll to my car. Letter F. Through his confession of faith, Job recognizes that God's sovereign hand is at work, and that's why he can bless the Lord. The reason we can bless the Lord is because we know God's at work. We don't see it yet, but we, how many of you know you, you, you speak blessing before it comes? You speak praise before the answer comes. We, we ask the Lord, but then we start thanking him, even if it's not there, because he's the God that calls things that are not as though they are, and so should we. We don't call it as it is. We call it as it's going to be when God gets a hold of it. 
And so God's at work. And even if Satan or someone else, even if you've got somebody at work driving you crazy or at school or in your family, you, you have to know that Satan may be using that person, but God's going to turn the tables. And what Satan meant for evil, this is what Joseph said when, his, when he revealed himself to his brothers, what you meant for evil, God meant for good in the saving of many lives. Now, jo, jo, uh, Joseph didn't know that when he was in prison. He was like, what's the deal? You know, where's my dreams? But what's amazing is, you know, at the beginning, jo Joseph's talking about his dreams like, look at me, look at me. But when it really comes down, in fact, when Joseph went to his family and even his father and said, Dad, you're going to bow down to me someday. Isn't that awesome? <laughs> and the dad who had spoiled him rotten wasn't impressed with that either, but his brothers really weren't impressed. But what's, there's a change and when Joseph is brought out of the dungeon and they asked him to interpret the dreams, Joseph said, I can't do that, but there is a God who can. All of a sudden, it's not the Joseph and his dreams, it's God who interprets the dreams. Something's changed in Joseph. He had, how many of you know, he had to go through that experience. He would have never become the second in charge of all of Egypt had he not been broken. And he had a and and yet he did the right thing. Every time he did the right thing, he suffered for it. And you know, after being forgotten by the baker, the wine taster, I can't which, remember which one got beheaded or that lived. They forgot about him for two more years. There were like eighteen years between Joseph's dream and the reality. But how discouraging that must have been, and I'm sure his faith was tested. But God was using every bit of it to turn it to good in the saving of many lives. And Joseph understood that. And so even the negative people in your life. Now, I do believe there are times to separate yourselves from people if you can. If they're unhealthy or toxic, there, there are times we have to set boundaries. And we have to get our, ourselves in a healthy place. So I'm not saying that we just allow everyone in our life to, especially not to abuse us or control us, or manipulating. I don't believe in that. But sometimes, well, the reality is, is we're going we're gonna to have difficult people in our lives. They may even be related to us. And when you can't get rid of them, you know, I don't know, you interpret that any way you want. But if you can't get rid of them, how many you know, you're going to need to start saying, God, show me what this is for. <laughs> Use them for your glory. So, you know, we can, we can try to pray him out. There's nothing wrong with that. But if God leaves him, then he has a purpose. Okay, enough of that. <laughs> Letter G, I was getting, you know, I was in, walking in a minefield there. Letter G, we are not at the mercy of evil men. For even if they should do us harm, our God will use it for our good. There was a time when I resigned a position and I was, you know... I, I didn't have an opportunity to go anywhere else. And I thought, it's over. You know, there's nothing I can do. You know, this one person's against me, and there's nothing I can do. This is, this is many years ago when I first started ministry. And I, I rarely have had the Lord speak. I've never had the Lord speak audibly to me, but this was almost an audible voice. I felt like the Lord said, your life is not in the hands of angry men, but in the hands of a loving God. And I started to 
have peace because I, I was out of work. I had bills to pay. I had nowhere to go. And I, w- I was obsessed with what, you know, th- those that were against me. And God told me, let it go. Your life is not in their hands. Your future is not in the hands of angry men. Your future is in the hands of a loving God. And even if there are angry men or women in your life or, or people that mean you harm, they don't, they don't control the end destiny for you. And so say, God, show me how they, you know, you're using them for, my, you know, for me to get through this. But believe that God has a greater plan. Number five, okay. Job grieves, Job worships, Job surrenders, Job blesses, and this was what's amazing. Number five, Job doesn't sin. The one thing he doesn't do is sin. Wow. Now, letter A, God never does wrong. Deuteronomy 32.4, he is the rock, his works are perfect, and all his ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong, upright and just is he. God cannot do wrong. He's not, he will never do wrong in your life. He never gets it wrong in your life. He always gets it right. Now, we may think it's wrong, but you've got to stand on this scripture that God does no wrong, ever. And then in Job 34.10, by the way, this is Job speaking later on. So listen to me, you men of understanding. Far be it from God to do evil, from the Almighty to do wrong. So Job even understood God does no wrong. In Psalms 92.15, the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no wickedness in him. So if there's wickedness, it's not from God. If there's something wrong, it's not from God. And so letter B, therefore it is a sin to charge God with wrongdoing. This is what's amazing. In all of this, it says Job did not charge God with wrongdoing. Now we're going to break that down a little bit longer or later because it, it happens again. But we need to know this. A lot of things can go wrong in our lives, but God isn't the author of anything wrong or wicked. James chapter 1, verse 13, God cannot be tempted and he tempts no one. So you need to believe this. We need to believe this about our God. Everything he does is, is right. Everything he does is upright. Everything he does is perfect. And we need to have faith in that and, and not in, and be so influenced by our circumstances. I know it's easier said than done, but can we try to apply these five things in our life? Anything bad happen in your day, then there are, there are times to grieve things. There are, there are times to shed a tear. It's okay. We gotta grieve it, but then we're gonna worship. Then we're gonna surrender. Then we're gonna bless the Lord. But in all of that, we're not going to sin. Now, I can't say that I've been as, that I'm even close to Job's righteousness because I'm not. And I'm sure there are times where I have sinned. And I know there are times where I've questioned God and probably went too far. I'm just being real with you. And, and I'm so grateful for his grace. But it is amazing that Job went through all of this. And can you imagine how tempting it would be to shake your fist at God 
especially when the, your children are gone and you've lost everything. It, that would be so easy and so tempting to do, but Job didn't do it. And that's the example for us. Very good. And, and what about the Chaldeans and the Sabians that had stolen from him? We don't even see him seeking revenge on them. Now, that's a whole other story we're going to. But you're right. He even interceded. He saved the life of his friends because they were idiots. Uh, <laughs> they had retribution theology down. And we're going to see that. We're going to spend some time with his friends. They, they sat quiet for seven days. That, that should have been the end of it right there. Everything went wrong when they opened their mouths and tried to explain God. Like we can explain God. I had someone tell me one time that his religion, it was a cult, his religion was true because he, he, we understand everything there is to know about God. And I said, if you, know, if you know everything there is to know about God, I don't want your God at all because... Because I know you. <laughs> and if, if, you, if you know everything there is to know about your God, I don't want to know your God. Because he is infinite and he is to be praised. Let's pray. Lord, we bless you. We bless you. And we thank you for your blessings. Wow, Lord. We don't deserve them. It's your favor. Lord, I pray that there are things, I believe, that many of us still have to grieve. We're, we're, we're not finished grieving yet. And Lord, I know that part of that grieving is to worship, to surrender, to bless you. But Lord, in those hard times, keep us from sin. Keep us from blaming you, accusing you. Lord, I just pray that we would instead trust you, like Job Amazing faith. He worships the God who he thinks took everything away. And so, Lord, help us grow. We don't expect bad things to happen. We believe that more good is going to happen in our life. And we're gonna, every day we're going to believe for something good. But if something bad happens, we're going to trust you. And we're going to bless your name. In Jesus' name, amen.